That sounds very churchy, doesn't it? Um, I am your professor, David Kirk Philp, and you are listening to Music News 101 or more on Brave New Radio 88.7 WPSC. It's great to have you here with us on a Wednesday night. We're going to listen to some soft songs this next hour. Aren't we, Nick, my co-host? Yes, we're going to listen to some nice soft songs and talk about puppy dogs and sugar. Yes. <laughs> no, we're not. We're not going to do any of that tonight because it's music phase 101 and more in 3D tonight. Brave New Radio 88.7. I'm your professor. I'm your professor, David Kirk Philp, along with a co-host. He's a student. He's a good fellow. His name is Nick Spiller. His name is what Nick up? Spiller. What's going on? Nothing. And we're here with Ashley. Ashley Weltner. She's a student. She's an engineer. She's here. Good to have her here. She didn't clap for herself, so there's uh, there's some issues there, so we can talk about that later. You should love yourself as much as I love you. So we're listening in the background to Rob Fusari's Wonderful, and we're going to have a great guest calling in soon, Todd Horn, Vice President International at ADA. What is ADA? You're going to find out very shortly. What is international? Everywhere outside of Los Estados Unidos. You'll find out more about that very shortly. Where's Dr. Esteban Marconi, we want to know? Don't you want to know? I do want to know. He is on assignment. He should be here in 15 minutes or so. Until he is, let us tell you a few things. Music Biz 101. Sorry, yeah. Music Biz 101WP.com is where you should go every day. Check out our newsletter. Sign up for the newsletter. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Music Biz 101WP. Our podcast is up, available 24 hours a day, six days a week, the seventh day it rests. No, it's always there. SoundCloud, iTunes, look up Music News 101 and more. We want to give some thanks. In just a few weeks, Nick, we're going to be, where are we going to be, Nick? Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville, Tennessee. Nick, that's right. We're going to acquire Southern Draws and go to Music Biz in the Music City. That's right. That's where we're going, May 15th through the 18th, 2017. Go to... Uh, the Music Business Convention. We're going to be there with many students. I think we have like 25 total students coming with us. We're going to interview industry pros, make connections, record lots of radio shows that will air all summer long here on What's the Station? What's your favorite radio station, Nick? WP 88.7 FM. Brave New Radio. That's, I like how you did that. You did, and then you did the switch there of the tone. Excellent job. We want to give some thanks. So that was thanks to Music Business Association. We want to give thanks to Van Dyne Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management. Because, Nick... With artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, and Kiss, there's only one place for you to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com when you are ready. Nick, you're in a band. What's the name of your band? We are called A Boy Named John. Do you have a manager? Yes, we do. What's the fella's name? His name is Ryan Sinisi. Do you have a business manager? Uh, he is also the business manager. Okay. And then we also want to give congratulations to Brave New Radio for being the number one college station in America, again, by the Intercollegiate Broadcasting System. We want to also let you know Managing Your Band, the sixth edition, is coming out June 6th. You can order it at any time, 24-7, three days a week at Amazon.com, people. Coming up next week, Melissa DeGeorge from Cobalt, one of the most you, – you talk about innovative. Brave New Radio is innovative. Cobalt, as a music publisher, innovative. Lots of innovation. There's plenty of room in this inn because it's innovative said the priest to the flock. <laughs> and then on May 10th, Tony Phillips. He used to be a baseball player. You've never heard of Tony Phillips. He was on the Tigers. He was on the Mets for a spell. This is a completely different Tony Phillips. And this Tony Phillips is the VP of on-demand content for WNYC Radio. It's an FM station, 93.9 on our FM dial. Not just yours. It's, it's our FM dial. And they're also on-demand, which means they're creating podcasts. They're looking at the future of radio. They're looking beyond this terrestrial thing. What's next, Nick? That's what they're asking. What do we have next? 
Then at, on May 17th, we will be at Music Biz, so we're going to have some pre-recording greatest hits. I had two great conversations. We're still waiting for Todd to call in, correct? I had two great conversations this week, Nick, that I'd like to share with you briefly. Go for it. The first was with Brian Schechter. Have you ever heard of Brian Schechter? No. Our friend Matt Young from the Winter Group, uh, Winter Music Artist Services, hooked me up with Brian. He used to be the manager for... The name suddenly escapes me. Chemical, My Chemical Romance. Oh, no way. Yeah. All I can't think of was Depeche Mode, and I'm like, that's not the same <laughs> band. My Chemical... He was the... Uh, Mike, of course, Paul Sinclair from Atlantic Records is calling and doesn't realize that we have a radio show right oh, wow. now. We can't, I can't talk to you, Paul. Um, he's a man. He actually has introduced me to a thousand people and they've all been on the radio. So I had a great conversation with Brian Schechter of My Chemical Romance, the manager of my former manager, of My Chemical Romance. And then, um, he's going to appear on the show, hopefully on the 24th of the 31st of May. And then just today had a uh, great conversation with Ben Weinman. You ever heard of a band called Dillinger's Dillinger Escape the Dillinger Plan? Escape Plan? Oh yeah. yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar with their with their music? Yes, yes I am. Okay. Do you like their music? Yeah, they're also from uh, Rockaway. They have a studio in, uh, in yeah. Jersey. Yeah, he lives in Morris Plains. His sister lives in Madison, New Jersey, which is where I'm from. Uh, Madison is the Rose City. It's good for you to know that. But I had a great conversation with uh, with Ben today, and he's going to be on the show. Cool. Probably in the fall. Uh, he's going to pay a visit to us. He's a very big entrepreneur mm-hmm. and a very cool guy. It's, it's very interesting the way you talk to these people. Here's a here's a quick thing, listeners, as we wait for Is Todd called in yet? As we wait for Todd to uh, call in. Uh, everybody, whether they're famous or we're famous, they put their pants on one leg at a time. They poop. They get diarrhea just like you and me. And it's good to keep that in mind when you try and talk to them. When I had my first internship, Way back in the 1900s, I remember the guy I interned with uh, was this guy who was a big-time VP uh, guy with uh, Polygram Records at the time. Mm-hmm. Every time I saw him, I stuttered. Every time somehow I would talk to this guy, suddenly that bit, big zit on my uh, chin would grow 16 sizes larger. And I would be shaking. I would be uh, all nervous. And uh, but, but that was before I realized that exactly he puts his pants on how many times? Once. Once, yes. But one, <laughs> one leg at a time. And like I said, he poops and has diarrhea just like you and I. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's good to, as you're talking to these people to uh, take a deep breath and relax. And that's actually a cool thing to do if you're having an interview. Because now our guest tonight, Todd Horn, um, you spoke with Todd today. Yes, because what's, what's your internship? Why are you here, by the way? I, uh, I intern at ADA, which is a Warner Music Group company. And uh, they do distribution and work with radio and all that fun stuff. And he uh, he actually works right next to me. His desk is right across uh, the room. And, uh, yeah, he's really excited to be on the show tonight. He's so excited that he's two minutes late in calling in. <laughs> so uh, he will call in. He's been very cool about email. So I, I totally trust him. We had an issue a few weeks ago with somebody who was not calling in. And we were doing, like, what we're doing right now and waiting for him to call in, call in, call in. Finally, we're tracking down his cell phone. And uh, he finally did call in. No apology. Ashley, did he apologize? No, he did not apologize. Oh, no. I'm still a little surprised that he did not apologize for that. I would have apologized. But uh, we are eagerly awaiting his call and uh, want to let you know that uh, Todd... As VP of International, his whole career has been international. He was with Roadrunner Records. He was a VP of International there. He was at MTV Games, and he was a VP of International there. And he was at the Capitol Music Group, and he was the Senior Director of International there. And before that, he was at Columbia Records, and there he was Director of International. Wow. So he's uh, been... Is really his focus all along has been outside of uh, of the border wall that has been built as we speak <laughs> across, around our country. And he went to Colorado State University, graduated in 03. This is 17, so 14 years ago, right? So he's probably about 36 years old. Is that what you would say? Sure. How tall is he? Um, I'm not exactly sure, but he's quite tall. He wears glasses. Yes, he does. Do you know what his prescription is? No, I'm not, not sure. No need for you to do that as well. But I... I urge people to uh, go to uh, LinkedIn. Todd Horn is his name. Check him out when you get the opportunity. And just try to call in 720-2738. What's the number? 973-720-2738. Yeah, that's it. Uh, he just emailed me. 
that's the number. Please try again. So uh, we're having him call in, and it's happening. Okay. So Nick, you are a pop music major. Yes, I am. Okay. Uh, as a uh, an artist in a sort of, I mean, you have a manager who's a. You mentioned Ryan Sinisi, who was also a pop music major. Graduated about two years ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, talk about some of the the what your band, your unsigned band, is doing right now to make revenue and to get gigs. What are you guys up to? Well, right now we uh, just put out a new record um, in this past June, and we've been selling that record and playing shows and trying to tour around like uh, to promote it. And to make some money, we've been selling some merch uh, to support each song on the on the record. And um, yeah, we're trying to look into different ways to get like our songs out there a little more, like commercials and stuff. And um, yeah, so just keep trying to grind and everything. Okay, have you looked at all outside of the border wall, or have you focused mainly in the U.S.? Like, have you even looked at Canada? Have you done anything in uh, Montreal or? anything like that yes we're uh, going to be playing in montreal in a couple weeks actually we're really really excited it's our first international show mm -hmm. and um yeah we're playing in montreal at this place called the piranha bar and uh canada's been really good to us so far we have a couple of fans out there that have really enjoyed our music and they're going to come out and support us at that show okay be careful of the piranha bar because mm -hmm. if you don't do well they'll eat you alive and remember, because you're in uh, Quebec, you'll have to, every song you sing in English, you'll also have to sing in French. Yes, of course. So make sure you're working on that. So your set will be twice as long. But I think you'll appeal to uh, the, the uh, foreign tongues of the world. Oui, oui. Todd Horn, please. Are you there, Todd? Yes. It is great. Yes. This is Dave Philp. It's good to have you. I'm glad I was checking email on the air as you were saying <sighs> what was going on. Did you just dial the wrong number by accident, or is it me? <laughs> It, it could it could be. Um, I was unable to reach you, but I'm glad to to be through and to be on your show. Thanks for having me. It's it's great. And uh, soon, uh, my cohort, uh, Dr. Steve Marconi, is a little late. He's going to be here soon. So when you hear this voice and this guy going ah like that, that is him. He's not here yet. Uh, just so you know, while we were waiting for you, I was reading off sort of uh, the information about your your background from LinkedIn. And I actually mm -hmm. did describe your glasses, and um, we were trying to figure <laughs> out how old you were and how tall you were. So, oh, uh, my God. Yeah, it, it, was, it was really exciting radio, and it's good to have the real person here. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. <laughs> and we have Nick Spillert here as well, who uh, said he saw you earlier today. How you doing? Yes. Yeah. Right. Nick's, Nick's in, our, in our group for a bit. It's good right. to have him. Yeah, Nick has said good things about you, so we'll we'll find out if any of that is true <laughs> as we as we go. So uh, you work for ADA Alternative Distri Dis uh, Distribution Alliance. They're probably in the industry, is my guess, especially from where I am as a prof an educator of the music industry. There's certain things I don't think anybody knows enough about, uh, especially as it relates to lots of educators and also students. One is sound exchange. Uh, one is, uh, well, probably the other one would be the how you guys, uh, Warner owns ADA, Sony owns Red and The Orchard. Uh, there's Caroline out there. So maybe if you could kind of get into what ADA is and then how uh, there's an international aspect and how that's been your focus for, for years, the international part. Sure, sure. Yeah, as you as you probably alluded to, I've worked in the the business for a number of years now, and um, have spent my time uh, cutting my teeth at the various uh, labels from Columbia to EMI um, to Roadrunner to Atlantic. And um, about two years ago, I joined ADA. Um, ADA is the independent distribution arm of the Warner Music Group. <clears throat> and at our core, we're a service organization. Um, we're organized uh, in a fashion to uh, develop artists and labels, to sell and market uh, their products, um, and surround that with first-class technology um, and first-class label services. So I think that's what sort of the core of what ADA is. Um, some of the various functions include uh, sales and retail marketing, um, account management, label services, as I mentioned, uh, in some cases production and manufacturing. 
we do a little bit of everything. So we like to help our labels to uh, sell their products all around the world. Why, do you, why does Warner need an ADA? Because Warner's already one of the big three. So what's the purpose of having an ADA? Yeah, it's a good, you know, it's a good question. Um, and I think, you know, I'll, I'll start with uh, the appropriate an answer um, for anyone who works at a big corporation. You know, we're a viable business for the Warner Music Group. Um, and I think that's that's probably a key area for us. But there's other um, benefits of having an independent distribution network uh, attached to your bigger <clears throat> um, major label system. And that is that um, the independents and our distributing those independents enhance our both ADAs and the Warner Music Group's profile, aesthetic, um, goodwill in the marketplace. Uh, if you have labels like Domino and Beggars, among others, that adds value to your ability to uh, have a relationship with a retailer, be it independent, major, or digital. Um, and it, it, you know, those labels benefit from the size, scale, muscle of being attached to ADA and ADA's attachment to the Warner Music Group system. So um, these these benefit uh, both parties, I think, in equal merit. Um, I think, you know, w, WMG also views us as a, uh, a you know, a, a, an insightful source into trends developing in the independent label landscape. Um, we're oftentimes a testing ground for strategies that may be used or technologies that may be used by the greater Warner Music Group. So they can come in and we can move a little quicker and do a few things and test out programs or systems to, to uh, that ultimately will be used by the bigger group. And do you guys look at your relationship with these indie labels as let's build this relationship, let's work with them, and eventually we might want to buy them? Is it is that sort of looking in the future? Is that why you have that? Of course, you wouldn't buy everybody, but uh, it would give you guys an open door to how those labels work, what their finances are, possibly more about the artists, that kind of thing. Um, you know, that's not actually um, part of our core strategy in any way, shape, or form. Um, these labels that we work with are... Uh, fiercely and righteously independent. Um, and we we want to protect that independence for them. We want them to have the strength of a major, but remain entirely independent. Um, when I talked about A&R Insight, it just gives us a better view into what's happening in the marketplace, I think, on the independent side, so that Warner Music has a better understanding of that. Um, you know, certainly, if a if a label's desire is to, um, you know, partner with us in a greater capacity, we would certainly entertain that. It's interesting because all the big three, Universal, Warner, and Sony, are all connected to an ADA-type company or service. Do you know who did it first? Just sort of a history. Oh, boy. Good, good question. I'm not... I'm not sure if I can answer that entirely, but I can tell you um, that ADA is a growing concern is uh, 24 years old. So uh, 24 years ago, the Warner Music Group decided that for their business, um, they wanted to be in the indie distribution game and they wanted to build a, a, a company to work alongside the Warner Music Group staff and support and service independent labels. So I can tell you that, um, you know, for at least the last 25 years, that's that's ADA's mission and strategy. There's been a variety of setups over time in the, uh, the distribution world, uh, whereby, you know, back in the day, BMG used to have American Recordings international business, you know, in the 90s, where Warner Music Group had the U.S. distribution. So there's a variety of different uh, setups that have been uh, 
have been, you know, run. But I think, you know, in the last 25 years, that's really when independent distribution um, was taken much more seriously. And there was a specific group aligned to just handle independent distribution at the majors. Okay. And that's good. And and I think people, if you're listening, you should go to ada-music.com or if uh, whether you're listening live or in the future to our podcast. It's kind of good for, I think, Todd, people to listen and then look at your website and they can kind of really get a good uh, idea of what we're talking about and how this works. Uh, and that will reinforce what you're talking about. Now, um, at any you know, we all know, or a lot of people know, the domestic side of the industry. So you've been in the international side almost your whole career. Was that on purpose? Was that dumb luck? Somebody brought it up to you and there was an opening, and then you took it, and that's sort of been the path that you've taken? How, how did you get into the international part? <laughs> you know, I, you, you nailed it. Dave. It was entirely dumb luck. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved to New York City in 1995. I bought a one-way ticket from Colorado to work in the music business. And while I was temping at record labels, I temped for uh, a lovely woman named Julie Borchard, whose assistant was on uh, uh, her honeymoon. And we became friends subsequently three months later when her assistant uh, left. She found me and gave me my first shot. She was the head of International at Columbia Records. So I landed in International entirely by chance. And I can tell you it was one of those uh, freak occurrences and amazing coincidences in nature that it just fit me incredibly well. Um, The idea of interacting with people from around the world, traveling around the world, and... um, you know, the level of diplomacy that's required in international, I think, really fit quite well with my personality. So it was it was luck. And, um, you know, I've decided to stick with it uh, through the years. I've had opportunities to do other things, but I'm still fascinated by it because every day you learn something new about a territory or you get to visit a place that you haven't been to, or you meet some people and develop a cultural understanding that you didn't have prior. So unlocking the markets uh, is super exciting, and uh, that's why I've stuck with it. That's cool. Can you, uh, not to put you on the spot, what are some of the things, let's say, uh, this year in the last four or five months that you've learned, places you've visited, some different things that all of a sudden popped out that you said, oh, wow, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, you know, um, it's, it's, uh, there's all sorts of these, like, moments you have when you're, when you're either out there or you're on the phone. Um, you know, as a, uh, as a student of the music business myself, I always referred to the gas countries or Germany, Austria, Switzerland, as GSA or GAS. Well, it turns out consumer products companies don't do that. Consumer products refer to those countries as Dachau, which is uh, the the two-letter shortened versions of each country, DE for Germany, CH for Switzerland, and AT for Austria. So, you know, when you're out there in the world, people may not even be speaking the same you know, using the same anagrams that you know, and you could have been doing this for 22 years, as in my case, and just learned that today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. I, I would think because as you get deeper into this discussion about the culture changes, uh, you know, every country has its own culture, has its uh, many different languages that you're talking. How how are you communicating with all these people? I mean, we're not even talking about music right now. We're just talking about just in a business standpoint or just yeah. strict communication. How do how do you go to you know talk to the person in Spain or Germany in, unless they speak English? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, fortunately for um, we Americans, the international community and the uh, international. Uh, music business community speaks English, and while I speak a bit of German, 
Um, they fortunately speak the same language as me. Um, the 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 skill set, though, um, just because they speak your language doesn't mean you understand what they're saying. Always. <laughs> Let me give you a couple examples. So, so there was one time I was trying to book a piano for Harry Connick Jr. in Hong Kong, and the team there. And Hong Kong is a very um, international city, as we know. Everyone speaks English, and they. They kept saying, yes, yes, we have that piano, yes. But they weren't actually saying, yes, we have the piano. What they meant, and this was the lost in translation moment, was that we understand that you're asking for that piano. <laughs> but they didn't actually have the piano. <laughs> so needless to say, we had to, find, we had to play on another piano. And it was weird, but it's one of those things you learn when you're when you're out doing this um, that no one really will tell you. the The Asian markets will often not say no to you, even though they mean no. So it's important to clarify what you're saying. It's also important um, to be an over communicator when you're dealing with people who uh, where English is not their first language and an over listener. So what that means is. You may need to explain the marketing idea or the artist's proposition in several different ways so they can grasp what you're actually trying to tell them. Um, and then on the other side of that, it's, you need to sort of tune your ears to the idea that what they're saying in an English is not my first language manner is not always what, how it comes across. Sometimes, um, you know, I was in Mexico at one point, and I was like, God, these guys are so rude. And I realized that they just didn't, actually their English just wasn't very good. So they weren't rude at all. They were totally the nicest guys in the world. But if, you, if you're not tuned into that, and, and uh, you know, I think most of us are naturally inclined to be able to do that, it, you you can lose a lot of the meanings uh, out there in the territories. Okay. Um, what would you say, because you're actually kind of on a roll in terms of uh, explaining a little bit about the international market that people should, should know and understand. What would you say, because we have a lot of people listening to this who are students of the industry or are in the industry, and like I said at the top of the show, I don't think a lot of people understand the international market. Sure. What would you say are two or three things about the concept of an international music industry that you think people should, should understand? Pretty much everybody should understand this, this, and this when we're thinking about the international side of the music industry. Um, yeah. Uh, I think, uh, you know, for me, the one thing that um, that is so key to being successful in international is that the markets vary wildly. What works in one country doesn't always work in the other. How you approach uh, a strategy for an artist or a label is not the same as you would approach it in a different country. Um, and to give you some examples of that, you know, we all, I think, see these big pop hits, and those do go and travel around the world. But if you go to France, you may not hear American hip-hop on any radio station except for the pop crossover songs. So, so you've got to keep that in mind, that there's a whole world out there of different market um, nuances that you have to address, in some cases tackle, be aware of, plan accordingly for, um, and it it may not work everywhere. But also, in some instances, you may actually be able to go to a country like France and break an artist that you would think, that's just not even breakable in France. Um, we recently did that with an artist uh, called LP, who is on, who's we did in partnership with our uh, with BMG, and we delivered for her 
platinum record in France. Now, some of you may know LP on this side, but she's not a platinum artist in America, nor in the UK, nor in Australia or any of the other English-speaking countries. But we were able through, you know, a really great plan, a supportive partner to deliver a platinum record. So there's these great things that can happen out there. If you're open to it, you develop a great plan, um, and you're aware of these nuances and plan accordingly. When you talk about developing a great plan, especially for France, what would be some highlights of that particular plan that worked especially for that artist? Well, you know, Dave, I think it might be useful for me to to talk a little bit about the international landscape to give a little bit of a framework for that question. Great. Um, so I think, I think when people think about international, you know, a lot of things come to mind, but one of the important components to know if you're going to work in music, you know, it, everything's global now, so you're going to touch against international no matter what. 85% of all income that a Western artist will earn will be from 10 countries in the world. Mm-hmm. So if you go out there and look at the look at the globe and, you know, there's 400-some countries around the world, um, you're really actually making the bulk of your income from 10 countries. So all of a sudden, this great big world that we talk about, how do we tackle everywhere outside the U.S. becomes a lot smaller. And you can think about things and plan on a more, you know, reasonable basis to tackle the markets that are significant. You also then factor in the fact the, the fact that, you know, some markets may just not be gettable for you. The artist can't go. You don't have the support locally. The plan doesn't include that territory. So... At the end of the day, for a new artist, you might be trying to focus on two or three territories. Um, of course, there's a lot of bigger artists where you're going to be focusing on the world, and you have to tackle that too. So in addition to the sort of the 85% of your income is going to come from uh, 10 markets, 95% of it is going to come from the top 20 markets in the world. So it's fantastic that you're digitally distributed and with iTunes worldwide and Spotify and all the territories therein. But really, if you focus your time and energy into the territories that um, have the best opportunity, um, present the, the ideal conditions for your artist or label, um, you're going to be far more successful uh, in, in building careers and building labels. When, when you mentioned the top 10 markets, is it because these are the top 10 markets in the world or for one artist it's top 10 for that artist and or for that genre and they're top 10 markets for another artist or another genre that's exactly right it's all different okay (laughs) you know every artist can have a different top 10 but Mm -hmm. typically it breaks down to a few different countries um the usa of course we know is the number one market in the world um but the rest of the top ten can vary, but, uh, you know, historically and because of their size, markets such as Japan and the U.K. and Germany and France and Canada and Australia um, will will be in the top ten in almost every instance. And then you, you start to break down a little bit and get a different look. Uh, Italy and the Netherlands and Sweden start to come in and Spain, so... Uh, it can vary as you move on down the chain in Switzerland and Belgium and Norway, but those are the big countries, um, and those will typically show up. It's interesting that a country like South Korea, who is, you know, let's say, the eighth biggest music market in the world, for Western music is actually probably not in the top 20. Hmm. Um, South Korea has an enormous K-pop scene, mm-hmm. yep. um, which we all saw uh, a few years back when when Gangnam Style broke. Um, 
we got a glimpse of that, and there's been subsequently several artists that have come to America and tried to break into that. But, um, you know, that market's almost solely driven by uh, local repertoire. Uh, Japan, for as big of a market as it is, and it's the number two market in the world behind the U.S., 87% of the income goes to local artists. So all of a sudden, how you look at Japan is totally different if you're working for an American record label or distributor. Um, that said, you know, a market that size, there's still room for U.S., U.K. repertoire uh, to be worked in this in that territory. Um, Japan's a really interesting one. I'll tell you, um, I've had a lot of great experiences there. Um, one of the most interesting is that uh, while I was working with Alice in Chains, you guys may remember there was a cover with the three-legged dog that came out. This was years ago. And in speaking with the, the Japanese company, we quickly realized that because of the cultural norm in Japan, which, unlike other places, looks very much down on deformity, the market felt like we were not going to give the artist a shot with a cover that goes against this cultural norm. So the band graciously agreed to put nothing on the cover. Um, so it was a blank cover, and it worked incredibly well. But that's one of the things you have to think, you know, you it's unexpected, but these cultural norms are out there. Um, and a few of the other ones out there that you may or may not be aware of. You know, in the Middle East, in order to release a product, a record, a single, a song, you have to seek clearance from the cultural boards. And that means no curse words, no lewd references. Um, so there's actually some music that never gets released in the Middle East as a result. So there's there's different things that happen out there, and uh, you don't know always what you're going to get. But being flexible and and uh, and planning for it as best you can are are good strategies to combat that. Steve Marconi uh, is here now yes, as well, so right. I just wanted to introduce you to him. Ah, yes. Hi, Steve. Hi. How are you? I've been listening in the car though as well. Great. Um, anyway, I have a couple of questions. I remember when. Um, we used to teach and have the billboard in paper come every week, and I'd always go through the Hits of the World page with with the class to show them the nationalistic products in each country. And you could see that um, a country like France had more product that was French that we will never hear in America versus, let's say, uh, Ireland or or the U.K. for obvious reasons. So uh, it's always been sort of, uh, I think, a, a, an idea that 30 years ago the U.S. represented probably half of the sales, and today now we have flipped, of course, where the world has gotten so much smaller. Um, what I want to talk about is a little bit on the other side and talk a little bit about uh, licensing from Europe or from the other parts of the world into America through ADA. Uh, do you license um, individual songs that come across, or do you do reciprocal agreements in some countries, or or what? Sure, yeah. I mean, we, we do less licenses, um, although that is certainly a strategy. Um, many of the labels the Warner Music Group t uh, take um, you know, the Alt-J record, which is on Infected in the U.K., is on Atlantic Records in North America, as a, for instance, of uh, most recent license within the Warner Music Group. But, but for ADA, I mean, we actively look at, um, and we have three main offices in the world. We have an office in London, we have an office in New York, and we have a loss office in Burbank. And out of those centers, we look uh, to sign labels and in some cases, artists, um, or artists as labels, uh, with the specific idea that those 
products that will be coming through will travel globally. Um, so be it, you know, uh, a German label that signs metal bands, those can go worldwide. Mm -hmm. Or a UK rapper like Stormzy, who mm -hmm. was most recently number one in the UK, you know, that is a product that we're, or a record we're actively working here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So, um, but it's based on these, it's based on um, label distribution arrangements as our core business. Right. So it's basically label, as you're saying, rather than um, artist. Um, Mostly, yes. When you, do you sort of get your ear to the ground or whatever, and you hear about a record that's breaking unbelievably in Germany or something, and you know it could go international beyond that, uh, do you seek those things out? Oh, 100%. I mean, we, we fortunately have a, a, a great network of labels that we distribute al already, and they're oftentimes um, tracks bubbling up. Mm -hmm. uh, and and with the amount of data that we now have access to, which we never had years previously, right. um, we can actually see it happen in real time. I mean, we're watching Spotify streams climb sure. on, in some cases, a daily basis, in other cases, a weekly basis, and utilizing that information to help the label maximize the opportunity for that artist or song. Mm -hmm. um, and we're always looking in the international world to take a story from somewhere and spread it to somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, for me personally, what I look at if I see a song is I'll go to, to the Spotify analytics, which we have access to, and then YouTube analytics, see which countries are starting to come along, and, of course, radio airplay. And those are the those are the main drivers. There's also um, Shazam is very useful mm. as well as a tool to figure out what's going on around the world. Mm -hmm. So I keep an eye on all of those, and as we see um, traction start to happen, you know, we'll look to dump some gasoline on a project, put some marketing and promo in place, put label services in place, work with the label to build the profile, and hopefully have a hit around the world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Todd, we like to, uh, to have Nick read a tweet to you, and you should realize that these tweets are brought to us by Alternative Distribution Alliance International and our good friend Todd Horn. All right. <laughs> uh, this one comes from Christopher Fuchs. Um, as VP of International at ADA, please explain the process in building artist awareness and uh, building revenue internationally. Sure. Thanks for that. Um so I think artist awareness, uh, you know, it starts with, um, uh, let me maybe give an example of how it works with a U.S. artist, because that's probably the most applicable here. So normally we, we will get the songs in, get the record in, you know, look at the artist proposition in terms of who they are, um, and based on our experience and, you know, the nuances in the market, we'll look and say, I think... This has a shot in the UK, this has a shot in Germany, and this has a shot in Australia, just based on, say, you know, feedback from the territories, instinct from what we think, um, and then we'll start to build a plan around it. And the initial stages of the plan are, are fairly simple. It's more about social media, and it's about uh, ensuring that they're targeting the countries that we're going after in their postings. Then it starts with uh, usually press and publicity on the ground in the local territories. So we'll bring on either uh, the Warner Frontline team or our own ADA staff to start the process of introducing the artist in the territory to the press. That then is typically followed if we think we have a single that we can take to radio with the start of a radio campaign and servicing that. Um, and then hopefully an in-market visit and where appropriate TV performances and all those other things. That pathway that I mention is only one of the ways that it can actually build. Some artists we work with, we don't do anything. We just 
put out the record, and then we send the band to tour. And as the, that band touring builds, we then follow on the other side, build the story. There's also opportunities where an artist will get a sync and we'll go, okay, well, now's the time for us to go to radio and build an entire story around um, that particular moment. So there's a number of ways to get there. Um, I found that ultimately at the end of the day, what works best is to develop a natural and organic build for an artist. Too much pushing, too much driving a project in the international territories will look and feel, I think, contrived. And what you want to do is go find the fans. And if you can find those fans, those fans will actually champion your project for you. So touring, social media, as I mentioned, um, uh, looking for opportunities in the press community, those are all the things that can can help you along the way and are probably your starting place. Interesting. We're listening to a great interview with Todd Horn. Todd, I threw out a tweet or uh, put this on Instagram earlier about how I thought of all the interviews we've done within the last year, this may turn out to be the meatiest one. And I'm listening to what you have to say. And actually, I can't wait to listen to the podcast because all this stuff you're saying is, is really great. So don't stop with the goodness, Paul, Todd. Sorry. Uh, I, I'm thinking, Paul, because uh, Paul Sinclair actually texted in a question for you. Uh, and we know you. I think the, I think Paul Sinclair of Atlantic Records, who's a friend of ours, is uh, the person who introduced us in the first place. That's right. Um, he wants to know how a record gets rolled out country by country as the song develops in a global streaming streaming world of Spotify and YouTube. Yeah, great. Great question, Paul. Um uh, you, I knew you would put up the challenging one. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, it follows a similar pattern. I mean, in today's um, global marketplace, um, hits can come from anywhere. So, uh, you know, all of that starts typically in the home market with the rollout plan and strategy in the territory. And then as that builds, we'll look at selecting territories uh, to focus on, we'll look at uh, utilizing the playlisting teams in the territories to build out playlists that make sense for that artist. We'll surround those playlists with advertising, social media posting, um, and then we'll work work with radio. Now, what might be um, interesting in that dynamic is that in many cases, there's a few markets that lead the way in that area. Um, so in a lot of times, and not every time, but uh, the UK will actually become the doorway to Europe. So some singles, it's actually better to try and break them in the UK and then spread that to the, to the rest of Europe. Um, it's more challenging to break an artist, I think, in Germany um, and spread that to the rest of the world. But the U.K. and the U.S. are those leading markets. So keeping the focus there and then selecting a few other territories to build out is the most, uh, uh, I think, efficient way. Um, I like to think that, that with all these international campaigns, we, we just start with a few markets and then we build those markets. You know, I mentioned a little earlier in this, um, in our discussion that, you know, if you look at the globe, it's this great big place with 400 countries, and what are you going to do? If you do everything that the U.K. needs, rather than doing everything the whole world needs, you're going to be more successful. Because getting the big markets right, it requires a great deal of time, focus, energy, planning, commitment, artist travel, touring. But if you get those right, you have a better shot at the rest of the world and you have a better shot at being successful. So I hope I answered the question. <laughs> That's great. We'll see if Paul tweets, did you answer? Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> Paul I, I, graded, too, from A to F. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really good. Uh, uh, Nick's going to ask you a question about Australia in a minute. We have about, but before he does that, we have about five minutes left. We haven't talked at all about China and it- and India, which are two of the largest countries in the world in terms of population. And I know in 2015, China was, I think, the number 14 country in the world in terms of recorded music uh, revenue. And then I think last year, 2016, it was number 12. What are, is that an impossible market to break through? Or are you making inroads there? And what about India as well? And does this have to deal with infrastructure? Is it dealing with economies? Uh, what are the challenges and what are the successes? Sure. I mean, these are uh, super exciting times. I remember um, back when I was working at Columbia Records in 1996. And, you know, at the time, Mariah Carey was this massive global juggernaut. Um, and we were talking at that time how every promo trip to Asia would soon happen in Beijing, and we would never, ever actually visit any of the other markets because it was going to be all about China, um, and China was the future. And it turns out, while a little bit late, <laughs> we were, in fact, right. Mm-hmm. Um, China has turned from a market that was largely, and by large I mean probably 80-90%, some estimates are even more, <clears throat> a piracy market, be it both physical piracy but also download piracy, um, and now is, you know, top 12 market in the world. That singular turnaround has been driven largely by uh, the tech giants in that, in that country um, building out uh, an infrastructure uh, to provide streaming services to the masses. Um, and you pay a lot less money than you would, let's say, here, but obviously the um, the average income is a lot less. So it's incredibly exciting times for China. Um, and there is going to be a lot of great opportunities. The market is opening up um, to music. More and more artists are touring there than have done previously. Um, the one I would say caveat to that, and I think the, the thing to keep in mind, is that China still is a very local heavy country. So the local repertoire is is far bigger than the international repertoire. Mm-hmm. So as it builds, you know, we're all going to benefit, but uh, the local repertoire will probably benefit first and 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 most from that and uh but you know look people you know some of the statistics i've read is that there's you know you know 10 million people that are millionaires in china what that looks like in two years or five years and ten years when you're talking about a population that size could be massive Mm -hmm. so it's super exciting china Mm -hmm. um and we're invested heavily in that and bollywood um India, in a similar um, circumstance, you know, India um, has had a vibrant music market in Bollywood, um, largely, and that is now, uh, that's still the most popular format, but that's now starting to turn into uh, a market whereby there's, there's opportunity for English language music. Um, it's largely driven by the mobile phone space where people are actually able to listen to music on their mobile phones, which they hadn't <clears throat> been previously able to do. It's driven by smartphone adoption and higher, um, uh, you know, higher co- co- bandwidth capacities. Um, you know, they don't have, <clears throat> you know, unlimited Internet yet in India, but when they do, it's going to fundamentally change how that, that market consumes music. <clears throat> Um, and I think, I think the pop hits will travel there very well once that happens, and and we'll see the international business or the <clears throat> Western business increase quite a lot. We may we may actually see some of the Indian hits come out of there and be incredibly popular elsewhere. They're pretty catchy. Yeah, that's great. Sure. Uh, we do have a, a tweet. We have about two minutes left. Uh, we have a tweet from one of our – we have a master's degree program and one uh, 
person who tweeted this in is Australian, and I think he's a Australian jazz performance major. Nick. Yes, this comes from Josh Dunn. His question is, what are the key differences between the Australian and U.S. music industries? Um, you know, I would say they're they're actually um, quite similar in sort of how they operate, what the drivers are, the radio-driven market. Um, there's incredibly sort of unique Australian local music community that, you know, we all hear about when some of these artists come out of that. Um, Vance Joy being one recently, the Amity Affliction, the rock band. Mm -hmm. But there's a huge community of, of bands there and, and a support system for musical artists that I would say, you know, parallels that in the U.S. I would say that I feel like Australians are more into music than hmm. Americans are. So I think that level of support, um, that that and, and community that that is there, is is one of the strongest attributes. Um, but the the drivers are still very similar. Um, you know, radio is the main driver. Social media, advertising, playlisting—these are all the things we use. Um, to be most effective. Um, you know, the, uh, the one sort of major difference is that probably Australia is going to be digital much more quickly than we are here in America. Uh, their market was trending towards 80% digital uh, on this side of the year. And, you know, I think we're in the U.S. Uh, quite a bit more physical. So... Um, the dynamics of, say, a market like Sweden, where, you know, revenue 85, 90% comes from streaming and how you, uh, A&R records, how you roll out singles, what your contracts look like in a streaming space is going to be more applicable to Australia in, say, 12 months' time than, uh, than they are in the U.S. And different markets will change at different paces. Um, streaming is probably the most exciting thing, you know, the, uh, hands down the most exciting thing we've had. Markets that were totally and completely gone, like Russia, parts of Latin America, are now actually, um, there are opportunities for artists to, you know, generate income, earn, earn money. There's more artists, to, there's more opportunities to tour because the, uh, because there's more access to the music. So it's a super exciting time in that in that area. Well, this has been a super exciting time with you, Todd. Thank you. <laughs> this, this has really been uh, a, a great show. We really appreciate you coming on. Nick, uh, thank you for speaking with Todd and making sure that he came on board tonight. Of course. And, uh, Todd, thank you for dialing in and, and speaking with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's really been my pleasure. Thank you guys both for having me. Um, you know, if there's any follow-up questions, I'm happy to to answer them down the front line, too. Right, well, Paul may have a follow-up question. Yeah, Paul Sinclair <laughs> might. And we should probably, uh, Marconi, we should talk to uh, talk and see if we should get Todd in. Sure. We, we should really, this is really something more to talk about with you uh, in the future with some directly with students, so we'd like to do that, Todd. Sounds great. Okay, good. All right, thank you. Good you may hang up. Todd Horn. Todd Horn. Yes. Yes. All right. Yes. Uh, our engineer, Ashley Weltner, is saying get off the air now. So, uh, Esteban Marconi, thank you very much for being here. Next week, we have someone live in the studio. Melissa George DeGeorge live. from uh, Cobalt. So there live. We go. Yes, she will be living in the studio. Uh, Nick Spillert, thank you for being here. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Nick. Fun. Ashley, thank you for being here. Yell real loud. Thank you. Okay, and then we want to thank Esteban. Yes. Yes, thank you. Okay. And I'm sorry. And, uh, I apologize to my audience that I was late. Right. And uh, it was nice to have an audience with you. And, of course, at the end of every show, we do not say hello. That would be silly. So at the end of Music Biz 101 tomorrow, Bravery Radio 8.7, we are going to say adios!
whatever come on.